Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. State Representative Wiley Price has been on the job for a few months, and the St. Louis Democrat has a lot of observations about how the Missouri House works and opinions about how to overhaul Missouri's elections. Price joins us next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today, the state representative for the 84th District. Yes, sir, that's right. Or say your name, by the way. Uh, Wiley Price the fourth. I was about to. I was about to steal your thunder right there. Um, <laughs> welcome, first time uh, guest, but apparently you've listened to this show many times. Apparently, I am like ecstatic to be here today. Um, yeah, I listen to Missouri and po- uh, politics, Missouri and politics all the time. Uh, super awesome. Yeah, um, I, I'm an NPR fan just in general. Um, yeah, I'm not the. Uh, I'm a nerd, really, honestly. Uh, this came up in a freshman caucus, uh, actually. About Some, what? Someone asked, uh, how many people here listen to NPR? Like, who's, whose favorite radio station is NPR? And, like, maybe three-fourths of, of, the, of the freshman caucus raised their hand. Oh, and, my. And, 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 and then that person said, see, this is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> We've even, I mean, even the hardcore conservatives have enjoyed coming on this show. Um, for for people that don't know, give us the boundaries of the 84th district because when we're talking in the elevator, it is one of the more unusual districts in the St. Louis area. I would actually agree. Uh, it's a uh, it's a trilingual uh, district. It's uh, everything west of Kings Highway to the city limit line. Further south point would be I guess Manchester. So I have um, what is you know the the rich in history area of the, the historical historical area of a uh, Dogtown, and then I have bits and pieces of the West End, and then which is you know the, the more or less the um, the economic engine, you know, that, that comes through the, the district. And then I have the west side of St. Louis, which uh, average household median income of over there is probably $30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a very, very uh, unique district in, in people, culture, as well as um, just history. Yeah. I, I've had other lawmakers on this show who have kind of had disparate districts that are split between suburban and rural and whatnot. Does, it, does the fact that your district differs so much in race socioeconomic status, economic status, does it make it harder to represent? Or do you find that people in your district have similar ideas and wants, um, regardless of where they live or who they are? I guess um, if I was, I have the advantage of of growing up in that district. I, I lived there 30 years. So I grew up making it over to the St. Paddy's Day Parade and, and, and probably drinking in Pats probably a year or two younger than I was supposed to. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> You're going to jail now. Exactly. <laughs> Retroactive um, jail. You know what I mean? And, you know, and then I grew up, you know, also running across Del Mar and having my friends over there. Mm-hmm. 
and playing on that side of the street. And then, you know, also growing up in the West End. And these are, I, I grew up in the Loop in the West End in Dogtown. So, I mean, this is, it, it's, it's breathing to me. It's very natural uh, for me to represent these areas because I grew up there. So I understand the cultures in a way that I don't think uh, most people would. Well, you touched a little bit about your biography and your time before politics, but I'd like you to expand upon this a little more because you are a a freshman lawmaker, which means you were doing something else before you were in the Missouri House. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in state politics at all. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess politics has kind of uh, been one or two degrees of separation from me all of my life. Uh, You know, I grew up in the in the Freeman Bosley era. Uh, I I was you know, my mother was very uh, close to that uh, regime when they came through when he was his mayoral uh, term. Um, my father obviously is chief staff photographer at the St. Louis American, and I, I mean, he's, I've grown up in City Hall pretty much because of that. Yeah, when I first saw that Wiley Price had filed for this seat, my first instinct was, whoa. Was it the photographer or was it somebody else? <laughs> That's a hard pivot. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I had to. I had to actually email Chris King, who we have a, a content sharing agreement with the St. Louis American, and he informed me it was Wiley. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But, but continue. Um, so yeah, uh, you know when you when you grow up, um, you know being shushed at oppressors and press conferences, and and you you're, you're running into uh, the more the Friday morning automatic meeting, and you kind of. You meet the, the Greg Carters of the world then and the Paula Carters of the world then and the, the, the Betty Thompsons of the world then. Um, so, I mean, these people kind of watch me grow up. And so you kind of pick up a lot of this by mitosis. And for me, I just kind of had to mature into the position. Um, it was always an option, more or less, for me. But I just um, I stayed away from it because I grew up around it. And I just I didn't feel it was nece- necessary for me to take that position until... Now, um, now I felt like it was just I was like, okay, um, here we are in a very unique situation where we're we're in this uh, progressive stage, and a lot of people are, are are claiming that they're progressive, but I think that's a very dangerous word in politics right now, because it it morphs via whoever is saying it and however that fits their particular agenda. I, and that's a really interesting point because I'm sure that you follow local St. Louis politics a lot, and oftentimes the people that are kind of against the ruling class or the mayor are called the progressives. Mm-hmm. And if anybody who's listened to me on this show knows, I really don't like that term because it gives the connotation that the people that do side like with Mayor Cruson or, or Francis Slate are conservatives. Some right. of them are. Like, you know, your colleague, uh, State Representative Donna Berenger, I would say is a moderate to conservative Democrat. Absolutely. But I, it's hard for me to say Shane Cohn or Christine Ingracia are conservatives because they supported Cruson over to Shara Jones. I, I kind of feel like we're kind of splitting hairs, even though there are definite policy differences between these two facts. We like to do that a lot in politics. Yeah, <laughs> like split hairs. So, I mean, you got involved in in running for this seat because Carla May was termed out. Correct. Um, she ran for the state Senate. We've had her on our show. I still believe her defeating Jay Cummel was Probably the biggest upset of 2018. Strongly agree. Even more so than Wesley Bell versus Bob McCullough, just because if you look at the amount of money she had um, and the fact that like nobody, including myself, were pay- was paying attention to that race, it is to this day one of the most uh, startling election victories in le- my legislative history. Big kudos to the boss, Carla yeah. May. Um, she is a, a strategic genius. 
Um, she understands her landscape in a way that uh, I've never seen any politician. She can do a PowerPoint presentation for Harvard on how to like break down your demographic and break down your demography and really go after your target demographic and grow it during the campaign. She is, she is a mind. You had a competitive Democratic primary against Brad Baker. Do you think Without that the fact that uh, now Senator May did so well in the district that she represented, and I'm not just talking about the African-American parts. If you look at where she won, she also won a lot of white majority wards where her district was. Mm-hmm. I, I assume that, you know, based up what you just said and the compliments to her that you two were probably not running as a team but certainly allied with each other do you think her 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 strong victory had any role in you winning or do you, do you think you may have had an advantage because you were the african-american candidate in an african-american majority district like what do you think happened i think for me to downplay her involvement in my campaign and her endorsement would be uh it would be sad and just <laughs> just be just be um that was that was key it was key in my victory uh it was key in my success um in in for several different reasons uh she you know uh she came with a lot of obviously institutional knowledge of of how to maneuver through the district but i mean just because of who she is and what she represented once she crowned me you know the the one that she wanted to get behind i mean that it 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 made it so much easier for me to deal with my elders. It made it so much easier for me to deal with labor. It made me so much, I mean, just, it just opened up everything. Um, on top of the fact that I was already a familiar face with a more than familiar name, um, you know, obviously because of my father. Um, but I, again, I, I genuinely grew up in this district. I genuinely grew up here. I, I worked, lived, and played in this district for 30 years. So once people saw my face and put the name with it, it, was, it, it made it that much more easier once they knew the incumbent also gave me the endorsement. So you've been in office for what, four months now, five months? Uh, Three. Three. Three It seems like 100 years, you know, from now to- It truly is. Actually, I've I've gotten several gray hairs in the last two months. Well, I I can't tell from here, but also my glasses are off. (laughs) What's been your general uh, impressions of being in the Missouri House? Uh, you're, you're, You're coming in from a perspective where you clearly are not completely ignorant of the realities of politics, but you, you've never run for anything before. This is your first elected office. You're kind of thrown into this chaotic environment where Democrats have limited power. Um, I, I just want to get open-ended to start. Like, What have been your, your, your impressions of, of being on the job for three or four months? Um, <clears throat> people are friendlier than I expected them to be. Um, people on the other side of the aisle. Uh, I have a lot of friends on the other side of Al, specifically in the freshman class. Um, and there's just a lot of mutual respect on both sides. Um, to, I'm, and I'm talking about my, my own personal experience. I can't say for, you know, what the Democrat, the, the, what the party wars are about. Mm-hmm. My own personal experience has been people have been helpful. Uh, people have reached out to, you know, give me a heads up on things that are coming down the line, how I can how I can help move my bill or how can how I can help be effective on the floor. Um, I've landed uh, an amendment on the floor this year. I've gotten two bills pushed this year. Um, I've been able to be semi-effective as a freshman. I guess more effective, I guess, by comparison to to other freshmen. Um, Just by people being helpful, man. This is not a a do-it-by-yourself situation at all. You have to have friends and you have to make new friends. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this a lot, but 
one of the one of the ways Democrats are able to get their ideas through, especially the House, is they often find Republicans who agree with them, and yes. sometimes the Republican sometimes the Republicans actually carry their bills. But the most important part of that piece, the other the, the other part of that piece, is that you have to be willing to humble yourself. You have to decide. You have to decide if you really want to get something done, or you want to put your name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to put your name on it, and you want to try to advance your career in some way, that's fine. But I mean, my deal with I, I've always tried to advance my career at, not at the expense of the, the general public and Missourian, Missourians in, in general. Um, so I, I don't believe in that. I try to, if I have a good idea, I don't care whose name's on it. Just get it done, man. Just just please get it done. I, I don't know how old you are. You, you said you were like 30, 31. 34. 34. There does seem to be, of, of the freshman class, especially in the St. Louis region, kind of a bumper crop of younger reps who especially from the north city area and the north county area and i've talked with a bunch of them we had rachel prouty on the show kevin windham jr their mindset seems to be very pragmatic i want to get things done i'm not just there's going to be obviously partisan fights and they're not going to agree with republicans on things but the the sense i get from this new freshman younger african-american uh caucus that that has that has come into office in the last three months is it's a very pragmatic streak, and it's not about partisanship. It's actually about results. That's my observation, and obviously it's a very flattering observation. So and I, it, it I, may I, be true or may not be no, true. No, I think that that's accurate. I think yeah. that a lot of us are are genuinely trying to help our districts. And, I mean, for me, I, I came in wanting to, you know, make my district greater. As This is where my daughter works, you know, or my, where my daughter lives and plays. Um, and this is the world that she'll be coming up in. But once you really start to understand the enormity of your job, you you quickly widen your scope to just trying to help Missourians. Um, and, you know, if, if, if that starts with your district, that's great. But, I mean, ultimately, you were just trying to help Missourians. And, and I think that that is a very genuine uh, feeling that is that is that has gone through the entire party mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the young people. A lot of people, young people are just here to be as effective as possible to help people that look like us, that live next door to us. We'll be right back after this message, and we're going to talk about your election-related items. Sure. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Wiley Price. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show was you have introduced a number of what I would classify as election overhaul, reform, however you want to describe it, uh, pieces of legislation. And I have it in front of me on my phone, and I think I want to go through a couple of them one by one. Uh, One of your bills creates a provision for automatic voter registration, which has been done in a lot of other states. I want you to kind of explain what that does and why you feel that's important. Um, The analogy that I always like to use for that is uh, we have historically gone with an opt-out, or I'm sorry, an opt-in theory where you have to opt-in. Uh, when you go to these government agencies or these government government buildings, the DMV, the Social Security building, um, you you have to be you know you have to tell them, hey, I want to register, um, so you have to opt in. Uh, I I believe that it should be an opt out option. I mean, if we're if we're really talking about democracy and we're really talking about having everybody giving everybody equal opportunity to be able to vote, it should be an opt out system, um, and that and that is, hey, I don't want to be registered to vote. If you're telling somebody you don't want to be registered to vote, then fine. You've chosen to take yourself out of the democracy. But it should be automatic. It should be automatic registration. It should be it should be an opt-out situation. Now, one of the things that, I mean, 
that sounds like a great idea, and because it would probably allow more people to get involved in the electoral process. One thing that comes to mind is, like, what is there any difficulty of doing this if you move addresses or you move into a new house? Or is, are those still procedures still in place under this this particular? Plan? Absolutely, nothing changes other than these government agencies automatically register you to vote. That's that's it. Yeah. Uh, when you go to the DMV, whenever you go. Like I said, to any government building, uh, the Board of Elections, uh, the, the the Social Security building, any government building, they will automatically register to you to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's all that does. This is not it's not a huge overhaul of like there's no, no, no huge fiscal note that comes with this. This is just putting in your name and hitting enter. Have you talked with people from the Department of Revenue about this since if you went to a fee office, like the uh, Department of Revenue oversees a lot of the DMVs. Right. Have, have they given you any insight on how, 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 whether this would be possible to implement? Um, no, they have not come up with a fiscal note for this particular bill. They have come up with a fiscal note for early voting as well as um, no excuse absentee balloting. Um, but I, the uh, fiscal note for no excuse absentee balloting is actually inaccurate. Uh, they gave me a fiscal note for six weeks, which is about $9 million. Um, but I, look, It's my opinion that we can't put a price tag on democracy. No excuse absentee balloting, I believe, has actually been sponsored by a Republican, Peggy McGaw, Mm -hmm. who was a former county clerk. That is correct. So that is an example of kind of bipartisan agreement on that. Explain what that is, because I think that a lot of people have tried to vote absentee before and they have to provide an excuse of why they're doing. That's correct. And and. Let's just be really honest here. I'm sure a lot of people have done that and lied and 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 said, you know, I'm on vacation when I don't want to vote on on that. Basically, I don't want to get involved in the rigmarole. I mean, the same reasons that were that the, the the malls are closing and people would rather shop online is the same reason people do no excuse absentee balloting. They don't want to be involved in the lines. They don't want to get involved in, in the the whole. It's already stressful enough. I think we can all agree that the last couple of elections that we have had have been very stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> stressful <laughs> so just me thinking about it right so, now. So there's no reason to add stress on the voter. Um, and, and and honestly, we're putting a lot of stress on the election officers and the people that, that actually have to work that day. Um, they have to see a, an extremely high volume all in one day in, in, in an amount of time of 12 to 15 hours. When we can, If we can space that out, over 14 to 21 days in early voting mm-hmm. and then allow people to do no excuse for absentee voting. So then you can get it at your, in, in your mailbox if you like. You can, you can vote from the safety and comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. I, if, if we, look, if, you, if I can pick up my phone and find out where every Hardee's is within the last next you know, five miles of me, there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to pick up my phone and, and vote if not possible. Yeah, although that may be a few years away at this and, point. And, and it is. But, I mean, we have places like Oregon that do you know, all, all mail. They, they do mail-in only uh, balloting. Yeah, and I think another one of your bills is early voting, which is, which is a issue that has popped up from time to time in Missouri politics. There was actually an effort to try to get early voting through an initiative petition, and, and the legislature put kind of a competing one on the ballot. Mm-hmm because they, they were kind of bracing for the actual one to come up, and that one did not get enough signatures and... Strongly agree. Yeah, nothing happened after that. So my understanding is early voting would basically, like, if you wanted to go to a specific election uh, place, you, you like the Board of Elections in St. Louis County or the Board right. of Elections in St. Louis, and I'm sure that they would have satellite places all over. That's correct. There's a prescribed amount of time 
that would be provided. Maybe it'd be four weeks before the election. Maybe it'd be three days of those four weeks before the election. I would like 14 to 21 days is what what I'm suggesting. Why do you think that would be a good idea? I know that seems like an obvious question, but like, why do you think that would be good for voters to have? Well, um, there are a lot of people that just aren't. Well, look, when I was knocking doors uh, this summer, uh, I came across a lot of people that were like, you know, as, as it got, became closer to August 6th, um, people were like, oh, man, that's Tuesday. Man, I got a lot going on that day. I don't know if I'll be able to make it to the polls. <laughs> and for s- someone like me who obviously is now in politics, that sounds ridiculous. Like, you know, on election day, like, you make time for that vote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of people, who don't feel like they don't have any interest on the ballot. There's nothing that's on the ballot that is going to affect their daily lives, so there's no reason for me to change my daily life, especially if I'm on some kind of fixed income. Or if I got a 12-hour workday or if I have a 16-hour workday. Um, there are a lot of people that miss the polls. There are a lot of different scenarios. There, There's that guy who you know has to be up at 5 and be at work at 7 and may have to work a double. He maybe has two jobs. Um, there's the the police officer who's working a 12-hour shift, and his buddy just called in six, and now he's got to you know maybe uh, he's got to work a double. There's there's surgeons, there's COs, there's truck drivers, there's locomotive drivers. There are a lot of people who are not able to make it to the polls on some random Tuesday, or not random, but the first Tuesday in August or November. Um, so for those reasons, we need to open up our democracy and allow everyone to be able to vote. So how are these bills being received? I mean, something like no excuse absentee. I assume is getting received reasonably well if you have a prominent Republican who's sponsoring, and I believe she's either the vice chair or chairman of the elections committee. That is correct. Some of these other ideas, though, I imagine are, are probably have some opposition among Republicans so, for various reasons. Um, the only opposition that I got actually was from the Secretary of State. Why? Jay Ashcroft. Um, he, he pivoted to a fiscal note, um, but again, I, I challenge that because the fiscal note is not accurate for the days that I'm requesting. Um, it's for a six week. It's a six week fiscal note, um, so it's way over uh, projections. But um, what I'm hearing a lot from the other side, and and not I shouldn't say from the other side, but there are a few Republicans who argue um, voter fraud, mm-hmm. and that makes me really sad because look, I've, I've, because of this bill, I've done a lot of due diligence and a lot of reading on voter fraud, and you know just different ways of 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 of, of balloting. Uh, and early voting. Uh, but what, what I found is uh, even when I was going to the pro voter fraud, voter fraud sites, the highest number of, of voter fraud was somewhere in between 0.003% and 0.0025%. Um, and I think the stat is uh, an American is more likely to be struck by lightning than to go to the voter box and in, impersonate another American. Mm-hmm. Um, so voter fraud is not it is literally the boogeyman of voting. It is not this issue that, you know, we make. And, and, and I got to be honest, after Russia and the whole thing, I was kind of starting to drink this Kool-Aid as, as if, you know, maybe voter fraud was, was a real issue within American politics. And there are no studies or stats that, that, that show that. Uh, I've, I've, like I said, I've done hours of reading on this particular um, issue, and it, they, we just don't have stats or surveys or polls or anything that suggests that this is a real issue. Given that a lot of these ideas have been adopted in different states, and there does seem to be some organizational momentum for them, is it possible that a lot of these ideas that you you put in legislation could be like wrapped up in an initiative petition, and that may be the better way of, of going about it? Or is that just a difficult thing to bank on, given how much money it costs to get things on the ballot? And you know, just 
the whole arduous process of uh, getting signatures, as with the early voting thing we just talked about, may not happen. I, I'm curious about that. Um, I am I'm growing c- concern quickly, in fact, uh, at the Republicans' angst to make it more difficult to do petitions mm-hmm. and more expensive to do petitions. Um, that bothers me. Um, look, I'll, I'll just go on record and say I am not a fan of clean Missouri, mm-hmm. um, but not the portions that you would think. I'm not a fan of the the, the, demography, the, 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 the line drawing portion. You of, don't uh, like the redistricting part. I do not like the redistricting part. Um, I feel like we were sold a dream in a lot of ways. Um, I, it is garbage. And it, we're, we're going to see. We're going to see. We're going to see. Um, but look, they are trying to, but the Republicans are trying to systemically break that down and go in and kind of dismantle it the best they can. So just democracy, man, democracy. Like I'm not here to play the game on party lines, um, for a lot of different reasons. I'm here for democracy and anything that is getting in the way of, of democracy, I, I, I have to give it some, some resistance. I do want to touch on the effort to overhaul the in- initiative petition process. That was going to be my next topic. You like read my mind a little bit. You know, I think one of the ideas is basically to, if you submit a petition, you would have to pay like a $350 or $450 fee. I know that some of your Democratic colleagues have criticized that as a, a creating a barrier for citizen initiative petitions. I will just say, I just want to ask as kind of a counter to that. I look at things like clean Missouri or medical marijuana are getting rid of right to work. And all those things were backed by multi-million dollar campaigns. And I just want to ask, like, if you have literally $10 million at your disposal, what is the big deal about paying a $450 fee? Um, it's not for them. It's not for them. The, the, the point of, the real point of petitioning is for the average guy, the average Joe, to be able to say, hey man, this is something that has been going on in the neighborhood. This is something that we notice we need to change, that we all want. I'm going to go around and start collecting signatures. And really, average Joe guy, number one, should be able to pay that petition price by himself because it is power to the people. The people, this is, it's the people, I work at the people's house. That's where I go to work every day. Um, so it's, we, we have to get back to that and we have to get back to people realizing the power that people have. I, I, I've, I always quote this Alice Walker quote, she's one of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that quote is, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking that they never had any. Mm-hmm. That is the current state of the general public within politics. People feel like that we we're in this this ominous program that is run and, and, and operated by this one or two percent, and that the general public have no real control over you know what happens. And I disagree. I think that national politics starts with local politics. And as long as you are highly involved in your local politics, you influence national politics. What do you think about the proposal to require any constitutional amendment to get, I guess, 60 ish percent? I mean, that is strongly supported by Secretary of State. That's trash, man. That is trash. That is trash. Explain why it's trash. (laughs) (laughs) Again, trying to make it harder to get petition petition uh, initiatives on the ballot. Um, So now you have average Joe guy going around. 80% 80% of the state trying to get, you know, this many districts and, and this many signatures in each one of these districts. And, and it becomes that much harder now because <clears throat> now this guy has gone way out of his usual scope of what is considered the neighborhood or community that he's, that he's trying to actually. That's a proposal that would require like you getting signatures in eight of the eight districts. That right? is correct. That's what you're talking that about. That is correct. And what I was, I mean, th- that, that was going to be my next question. But the one I was talking about, like constitutional amendments would require like 
60% or more of the vote in order to be implemented in the Constitution. What do you think about that idea? Um, I don't know about I don't I don't like that either. Um, yeah. Again, for the for the same reason, I, I feel like it's it's kind of voter suppression. And, and to pivot from that, we just uh, had a law uh, got a bill come through committee where they wanted the voter turnout to be over fifty percent if it was a tax uh, if it was some kind of tax uh, ordinance on the on the on the bill. Probably for local ordinances. Yeah, I for, would for think. but but I'm saying but like even that like so okay so it's forty nine percent. Do you think that people are going to come back out next Tuesday and vote again? No, like, I would say no. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's just these are the things like, man. It, it, so I guess this portion of it is and when you go back. To, let's go back to my, your first yeah. question. Yeah. When you asked me the things that surprise me, um, these are the things that surprise me uh, is that that we do have people inside of the, the, the opposing party that seem to aim their their target is to try to make it as offset as possible and, and as, as difficult as possible and to lean their way um, and to make it as unfair as possible. One thing that I think actually passed this week, I don't know if it was an amendment or a standalone bill or what, was actually requiring people in the state to register by party. I, I want to make sure that actually happened first. Yes, of all. that actually happened. And this is the, so this is one of the times that I'm like really embarrassed to be like, a part, a part of something like this. <laughs> yeah, let me just give people some background before we get into this conversation. And when you register to vote in Missouri, you don't register by party, which means that if you want to vote in a Democratic primary one cycle and then vote in a Republican the next, you are more than welcome to. And let's we're all about honesty on this show. In the city of St. Louis, there are Republicans that live there and they absolutely vote in Democratic primaries. In fact, I would I don't want to guarantee this because I don't know this for sure. I, I don't think Lida, I don't like Lida Cruson would be mayor without Republicans crossing over and her been voting for her just because you look at the the, the margins in the southwest side exactly of the city. exactly so that's the backdrop and the thing that I'm wondering based on this dynamic is what difference this really is going to make because I see a scenario where if you live in a very heavily Republican jurisdiction or a very Democratic jurisdiction you're just going to register in either of those parties and it, still vote. <laughs> Again, infringing on democracy. Uh, this is okay. So, th- the example that I gave on the floor. Sure. Say I'm 18. I- I'm 18 years old, man. I don't really. I'm like I am a rebel. I am a activist. I am. I. I, I I've never met an 18 year old that, that came in and was just like, I'm going to be in this party for the rest of my life. I. I mean, they're out there, I guess. But I mean, at 18 years old, you don't even know the va- core values of either party yet, more than likely. And I. And I don't want to. Uh, un- undershoot eighteen years old, eighteen years old, and, and how involved or how knowledgeable you'll be in political parties. But you know what I mean. So it's okay. Okay. So what if I'm because then there's then there's a, a cutoff date of you have to register uh, so many days before the election. So what if my birthday, my eighteenth birthday, is within that window? So now I don't even get to vote until now. I guess my twenty whatever, my twenty. You know what I mean. So it's just it is mind blowing. Yeah, the, I understand the angles that they take to. Just again, you're infringing on democracy. Yeah, I, I, what, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, fi- I, I mean, I, I, fi- I am Facebook friends with uh, State Representative Peter Meredith, and oftentimes he posts the, uh, the vote count for for some of the bills, and mm-hmm. this was a very close vote. You had a lot of Republicans voting against this, which makes me think that 
I don't know if this is going to fare very well in the Senate because because I think that there could be some Republican opposition. So um, so why would they even bring this idea to the floor if it really has no chance of, of making it to the finish line? So do you remember earlier in this conversation when I said I try not to further my personal political agenda mm-hmm. at the cost of the Ameri- of, of, of the Missourians and taxpayers? Well, Missourians are Americans. Right. I, I, I understand exactly. what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it, it, it's that. It's that. It's some things are being done to make a commercial in 2020. Some things are being done to say, hey, I did this and I was able to get this done. But that's all they'll say. They'll, they won't say, but he got crushed in the Senate because it was a dumb, dumb idea. Uh, um, um, so I think just a lot of things are done to push political agenda and not really to make good legislation and to really real make the lives of, of general, gen, the, the average Joe, common sense law for regular guys. So in the last few minutes that we have left, what do you think are going to be the big issues the House in particular um, is going to face in the last few weeks of session? I could think of a few things off my top of my head. You still have to pass low-income housing tax credits. Mm-hmm. Title IX may come, come out of a committee mm-hmm. and into the House floor, which I'm sure is going to be a very uh, robust debate. Um, those are, I mean, there could be, I mean, charter schools may, may be resurrected. Those are three things that just popped randomly into my mind. What Uh are some things you think are going to be particularly noteworthy or controversial that you all will be dealing with? I think we just hit the, uh, the three Kings right there. Um, TANF, um, TANF, uh, charter, and, um, what was the third one we just said? Um, Title Nine. Title Nine. Title Nine is going to be huge, man. Title Nine is going to be huge, and uh, again, I, I stand. And this is one of those head-shaking moments for me, where I'm where I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe we're still having these discussions. I mean, we're, we're long overdue on talking about women in workplace, our athletes, or anything. Like, I, I love how we like to ignore, like the <laughs> just ignore oppression in a lot of ways. <laughs> that is just. <laughs> mind-blowing um so i i do like a lot of the new um uh amendments that were put on to the new committee sub of title nine but they're yeah awesome. and, and I, I just want to provide some context because i actually was in jefferson city when that happened okay. um the original bill was very controversial there were a lot of things pointed out by the opponents of this bill that were actually changed in the house judiciary committee there's still a lot of criticism of it and i think the main one being that it will prompt people that accuse somebody of sexual misconduct in a college to hire an attorney, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be the case, like if the federal regulations change and, and also change the way attorneys can interact during that process. But you are correct that a lot of things have been changed. It does not mean the controversy over the bill has subsided, basically. I mean, this, this bill is going to be torn apart. Uh, this Florida plate. This Florida debate might be six hours. It's going to feel like a filibuster out there. Oh my um, gosh! It's going to be a long day, and, and it should be a long day. Uh, the, what they're trying to do is, I guess, I appreciate the spirit of what they're trying to do, but this is a delicate dance, man. Like this is you can't. You, again, it's it's. Look, Title Line has disproportionately affected people that look like me. Shocker. Um, there's no metric in American history that I guess you could point to that, that would suggest otherwise uh, in, in a lot of different uh, enterprises. But so so I appreciate what they're trying to do in that in that aspect. But at the same time, I have an eight year old daughter 
So I want her to be comfortable and I want her to feel like if she's been violated in any way, that she can go and discuss it with somebody and get justice if 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 need be or you know whatever whatever needs to happen but again this is a delicate dance i'm all for protecting our kids period full stop um but also man we have to create an environment where women feel comfortable at all ages they feel comfortable in the workplace they feel comfortable on the playground they feel comfortable on the court or wherever they're at we have to make an inclusive environment, and that, and that doesn't just include minorities. That includes everybody, everybody, everybody. I would imagine, based on what you tell me, that the bill would have to change substantially more for you to support it. Is that fair to say? That's that, at this point, yes. But again, but, but let me also say, uh, I applaud the bill handler for going back and making. I think it was twenty three changes to the bill. It was. So I appreciate that. Like, I mean, this is somebody that obviously understands that this is a delicate dance, and that you do need to. Take a lot of things into consideration and you need to consider a lot of people um, because a lot of the bills that we make have unintended consequences and that's what we try to steer away from you don't want to make a bill and all of a sudden it's in the Supreme Court you know what I mean <laughs> well I mean it would be good for the attorneys that are shepherding that bill through the Supreme Court because they get paid a lot of money but you know for actual Missourians that have to be affected by policy not so much. Exactly. Well, Representative, I just want to thank you so much for coming by this afternoon and talking with me. I, I have a feeling we're, you're going to be on this show many more times, considering you're you're a super fan of NPR. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers so, crossed. So, uh, but it's always good to have freshman legislators talk about their experiences, and we will continue to have them on the show until I guess we get through all 300 freshman legislators. I guess <laughs> for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you? I don't know if you have a Twitter account, but do you have a I Facebook do. account? I do. I have a Twitter account. It's I'm at I'm with Wiley, um, or you can find me on Facebook at uh, Wiley Price the Fourth or Wiley Price for State Representative. Um, I, I have a huge bill right now. Um, obviously, uh, no excuse, uh, no excuse absentee balloting. Uh, House Bill nine nine two. Please call your state rep or your senator um, and tell them that it's something that you want. Um, and and uh, also early uh, early. Um, Early voting, excuse me. So, um, yeah, I've, ta- I've spent a lot of time talking to Eric Fay, who's the head of uh, St. Louis County mm-hmm. Elections. Uh, very good guy. Was extremely helpful in, 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 in kind of guiding me through this and how it would be most effective operationally and how it will, what would be the cheapest. Um, so it's, it's been, again, uh, back, going back to what I said at the beginning of the interview, people have been helpful uh, all across the board. And I'm pretty sure Eric Fay listens to this podcast, so I think that he awesome. will hear he will hear your uh, gratitude. Awesome, awesome, for sure. Until next time, so long. Driving faster in my.